morning. It's good to be with you today. How many of you believe that repetition is the key to learning? Good. (laughs) By way of confession, I didn't look at the Sunday school lesson until about 2.30 yesterday afternoon. So you're getting round three of John the Baptist this morning. The title of the message is Preparing for Jesus. And I have a lot of scripture that I'm going to be asking you to turn to, just a few verses here and there. But let's begin with Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now turn to Malachi chapter 3. Your page is probably still warm from the other times you were there. Malachi 3. Verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. These are just two prophecies looking ahead and prophesying the coming of John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament is 400 years of silence where God was not speaking to his people through prophets and it's known as the 400 years of silence. They had the law, which they could study and remember and pass on. But God was not speaking to the people through prophets. This 400 years of silence began with a warning from Malachi, and that closed the Old Testament. So turn over a page to Malachi chapter 4. Verse 4, this is the warning that begins... The 400 years of silence. Malachi 4, verse 4. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I'll stop reading there. But in Matthew 11 from our Sunday school lesson and Matthew 17. This is clearly speaking of John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah and with the same message of repentance that Elijah had. So this 400 years of silence began with a warning in Malachi and it ended with the coming of John the Baptist. I'd like to have a little bit of a history lesson here just to give 
a perspective of what John the Baptist was stepping into throughout this 400 years of silence, just to give us an idea of the job he had and what he was up against in preparing the way for Jesus. At the time of Malachi's warning, this is approximately 430 BC, or 400 years before Christ came, the beginning of these 400 years of silence, the Jews had returned from the Babylonian captivity. The temple had been restored. The priesthood of Aaron's line had been restored. And if we'd stop there, it would be good. But they weren't observing the law the way they should. The priests were neglecting the temple and they weren't teaching and passing on the ways of God the way they should have been. Just to summarize that part, the people just, they were not honoring God the way they should. They were taking pride in their heritage and who they were. About a hundred years later, or three hundred years before Jesus came, Israel fell into the hands of the Greeks for a short time, and ten years later into the hands of the Egyptians. It was during this time in Egypt that the Old Testament was translated into Greek, or the Septuagint, and it became widely spread and widely used. Another hundred years passed, and in 204 BC, or 200 years before Christ, the Syrians and the Jews were fighting back and forth for about the next 150 years until the Romans gained control. This is summarizing everything very tightly, but that's, that's what was happening. This was a time of tremendous religious and political upheaval. And the religious leaders and the political leaders became so intertwined, it was difficult to tell who was who. So as the New Testament opens, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, Herod the Great is ruler of Galilee. His brother Philip is ruling just to the east of there. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Sadducees are very liberal Religious leaders, the Pharisees, are very conservative religious leaders. And they are struggling for control over the people in their spiritual teaching and, and spiritual lives, as well as politically. It was so intertwined. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 3. Throughout these 400 years... Of silence, there were many prophecies fulfilled. Prophecies that had been made in Daniel and Isaiah, and these prophecies, many were fulfilled in this time. But because of the upheaval in the land and the political unrest and the religion, religious uh, apathy, there was a failure to recognize and honor God. They didn't recognize these prophecies fulfilled. And they didn't put these 400 years of silence to good use in studying the scriptures and learning where they were at and anticipating the coming of the Messiah. They they were wasted years. And that brings us to the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. And as I was looking at this, this account of John the Baptist is one of relatively few accounts that are mentioned in all four Gospels. There are others, but it's relatively few accounts mentioned in all four Gospels. But John the Baptist is one. And each of the Gospel writers shed a little bit of a different light or add a detail 
that gives a broader picture. So as we look at this today, we'll be looking at different aspects of the different Gospels to get hopefully a little bit more of a, a full picture. Luke chapter 3, the first two verses. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and of the region of Trachonitis and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So Luke is giving us a timetable and kind of a who's who of what, who's, who's who of the time. And with all of these big names, he named all these big names. And then it says, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. And I don't have answers to a lot of my questions this morning. But why does God choose the people he does? We look at what the way John lived, the way he dressed, what he ate. He was not a polished speaker, I don't believe, in, in the, the way he approached wrongdoing. Why did, why did God choose who he chose? Now turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, the first three verses, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It begins with a prophecy of John and the purpose of of John is to prepare the way of the Lord. And I pondered that for a while. Why did Jesus need a way prepared for him? Did you ever consider that? Why did Jesus need something prepared for him? What was the point of Jesus preparing the way? The purpose of John's ministry was to create a favorable environment or to make it easy for Jesus to come and to operate. When I read that definition, my mind immediately went to the Secret Service and the President, making the conditions or creating a favorable environment, making it easy for someone to come and operate. So I did a little bit of research. When the President is scheduled to visit an area, the Secret Service will visit that area up to three months before to meet with local agencies. I assume that means police and uh, social services or whatever all they would need to meet with, but up to three months in advance. When the date of the, of the visit is getting very close, they will go through and they will <coughs> patrol the route that the president is going to take with bomb-sniffing dogs. They'll notify hospitals of the visit. They shut down highways. They do background checks on all the hotel employees where the 
president will be staying. They will not take the president in through the front door, but will maybe even go through a, a loading dock in the back. That's how he'll get in. They inspect the hotel room or rooms that the president will be in. They take out everything electronic that's in there, the TV, the phone, the alarm clock, everything, and they replace it with their own electronics. They inspect everything hanging on the walls, pictures, everything, to see if there's cameras or something hidden in there. They put plastic, bulletproof, whatever, plastic over the windows. The floors above and below the floor where the president is staying are vacated. There's nobody in either one of those floors. There's a lot of work that goes into the visit of the president. The way is prepared for him. So John was called to prepare the way for Jesus. And this is a public ministry of John the Baptist that lasted only only a short time. And if you study, I'm not going to get into this much, but if you study the attitude of John the Baptist, I am so blessed with his humility. And immediately your mind would go to the phrase where he says, he must increase and I must decrease. That's just one of the things he said, portraying the greatness of Christ and how he knew who Jesus was and he knew what his job was and he was willing to do it. He recognized Jesus was the focus and he knew that he would simply fade into the shadows. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist, John the Baptist recognized that Jesus was getting glory and he was just thrilled with that. He said, because of that, well, people were saying, doesn't it bother you that Jesus, is, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more than you? There's more people going flocking around Jesus than you. And John said, that just thrills me. He said, that is, my joy is full when I see that happening. That is the attitude that this John the Baptist had. John is a voice crying in the wilderness. Literally, he was crying in the wilderness, and figuratively, he was crying in the wilderness. Consider the religious and the political landscape of the day, of that time. 400 years before this had been a time of uh, spiritual, it, it wasn't good in Israel. They had fallen into a, a way of life that's, that's just the way we do it. And it wasn't, there wasn't joy in serving the Lord. There wasn't joy in who they were. It's just who they were. It was mundane. So he was in the wilderness where he lived, what he ate, what he wore, and probably most importantly, the message he had for people put him in a very lonely place. He was about 30 years old. And I'm thinking of the character that he must have had to be able to have the assurance that what he was doing, he knew was right. What he was doing was an incredibly difficult job, but he was willing to do it with, with no praise of man or very little the purpose of John's ministry was to jolt people from their everyday lives to cause them to be alert and looking up with anticipation to bring them, bring them back to the understanding of who they were as God's chosen people 
to help them see how far they had drifted, to give them a taste of what the kingdom of God on earth would be like, to give them a hunger for Jesus. John was a preacher of righteousness, not a preacher of the law, shaking and refreshing the lives of the people. Preparing the hearts of the people for a living faith, something they had never experienced. A living faith in the kingdom of God on earth. This was a totally new idea for them. The kingdom of God on earth. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This, we could have mom and dad or Daryl and Ruthie come up and explain this more clearly, but I saw pictures of what this is in reference to and it is... I don't know why you would want to live there. It, it, it is nothing but brown dirt hills, valleys and hills and rocks. And to get from here to, if this was from here to Hayward, you couldn't just drive on the road. You have to go around and weaving through. So it makes sense when you see these pictures. Making a straight path for God. It's the idea today we would say we roll out the red carpet. We're going to make it as smooth as we can. And that was my understanding for a long time. But as I meditated on this, there is a so much deeper meaning that goes into this. This every, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill being made low. Every valley being exalted. Keep in mind, John is preparing the hearts of people for Jesus, for this new Kingdom of God. Keep that in mind. So he's saying every valley shall be exalted. I think he means the discouraged, the hopeless, the down and out, the downcast people. They need to be lifted up and their hope needs to be rekindled. Then their heart will be ready to receive Jesus and what he has for them. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The self-righteous or the arrogant or the proud people, they need to be brought down. Only then can they receive what Jesus had. That's how their heart needs to be prepared. The crooked shall be made straight. Those who are living ungodly lives or those who are openly sinful, they need to be straightened out. The rough places, plain or smooth. The crude or the inconsiderate people, they need to be taught gentleness and patience and peace. That's how their hearts need to be prepared for this coming Messiah, both in Psalms and in Isaiah. God speaks to his people and says he will draw near to those who are of a humble and a contrite spirit. If someone is in the valley or they're discouraged or they are hopeless, they need to be lifted up to the point of being a humble and a contrite spirit. If someone is arrogant and proud and self-righteous, They need to be brought down to be of a humble and a contrite spirit. It needs to be leveled out so that God can, can fill your heart and can meet you where he meets you. Our hearts need to become as a little child if we are to receive and retain Jesus. 
The valleys need to be exalted. And you put yourself in one of these places because you are in one of these places today. The valleys need to be exalted. The mountains and hills need to be brought low. The crooked needs to be straightened out and the rough places need to be smoothed out. There's a song that captures the attitude of a heart that is prepared for Jesus. It's a song that you're very familiar with. We sang it, I believe, last year at Maranatha. There's a chorus that, that's a little bit different than what we're familiar to. But, but listen and think about preparing our hearts for God, about the mountains and the hills being brought low, the valleys being exalted. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am and waiting not, to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Verse 3 is, Just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace my freedom bought. And now to glory in your cross, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And now the chorus says, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed, I come desperate to be rescued, I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God just as I am. And that is, that is a valley that has been exalted. It's a mountain and a hill that has been made low. It's a crooked way that's been straightened out. And it's a rough place that has been smoothed out. That is the attitude and the heart that... John is trying to prepare in these people for the coming of Jesus. That's the purpose of John's ministry, to prepare these people for the message and the life that Jesus had. So what is the message of his ministry? We find the heart of his message in verse 4 of Mark chapter 1. Verse 4 says, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He is calling people to be right with God. He's preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission or the forgiveness or the making right of sins. To repent of their sin and be ready to meet the Messiah. And we touched on this in the men's Sunday school class this morning, but repentance is the key to so many things. And it's not a once and done kind of thing. It has to be a way of life for the Christian. Repenting is a result, or it goes hand in hand with newness of life. And that is what Jesus came to bring, is this newness of life. It's not simply... You can't just decide. It has to be a way of life. It has to be a newness of life. So that brings the question, was the repentance, or I'm sorry, was the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus, were they different? Were these baptisms different? And as I was meditating on that, I came up with three answers. Yes, they were different. No, they were not different. 
yes and no. (laughs) All of those. And they're all right. The baptism of Jesus finished what the baptism of John started. And I'll try to explain this a little bit. Matthew 3, verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you. This is John speaking. He's saying, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That verse alone would indicate that there is a difference. John bap- Being baptized by John demonstrated that you recognized your sin, your desire for spiritual cleansing, and a commitment to follow God in anticipation of Jesus' arrival. It was not a baptism that said, I'm going to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I am yielding my life to the life of Jesus. That is not the baptism of John. It was saying, I recognize my sin and I'm committing to being right with God. Being right with God at that particular time is different than being right with God now. Now I'll explain that a little bit as we go. Verse 14 in Mark 1 here says that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. In John 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he said, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I always thought this verse meant, unless you become born again, you aren't going to get to heaven. Well, that may be true. I, think it, I don't think it means that necessarily. It doesn't mean unless you're born again, you're not going to get to heaven, although that is true. It means you're not going to understand or you're not going to be able to grasp the concept of what this kingdom of heaven is. This new way of life that Jesus is bringing. It's not going to make sense to you. you talk to somebody who isn't a Christian and the idea of turning the other cheek makes no sense. The kingdom of God doesn't make sense. It's not meant to make sense. It's meant to, to be in our hearts. It's what Jesus is asking us. So he's saying, unless you're born again, you are not going to be able to understand the kingdom of God. This new way of life, it's not gonna, you're not going to understand it. Jesus brought this new way of life with the kingdom of God. And the new birth... Is, on, is something only Jesus can bring. John, John did not bring this. Only Jesus could bring the new birth. The baptism of John prepared the heart for this in bringing people to the recognition of sin. To repent and recognize your sin and commit to following God is a huge way, a huge step in preparing these people for that newness of life. There were people who were baptized by John. Well, I explain this. Turn to Acts chapter 19. There were people that were baptized by John that needed to be baptized by Jesus because their baptisms were different. Acts 19. The first five verses. And it came to pass that while Apollos... I'm sorry, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, 
came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him whom should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's a difference in these baptisms. John's baptism, again, was to repentance. Let's turn my life around and be right with God. A commitment to follow God. The baptism of Jesus is a baptism of the Holy Ghost where the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're saying, I am now under the control of the life of Jesus with this new life living within me. There is a difference. But the baptism of John prepared people for what Jesus had. Jesus' baptism, or the baptism that we would have today, it, it also symbolizes repentance, cleansing, and commitment. But we are identifying in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and being raised again by the power of the Holy Ghost, the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. That's something that the baptism of John did not and could not bring. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Here we find John preaching the baptism of repentance. Matthew 3 verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism... He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Stop reading there. He saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And keep in mind the corruption within the religious, many of the religious leaders of this time. It's obvious in what he says here. They took stock in who they were and that's about as far as it went. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Luke 3 gives this exact same Almost this exact same account, but he says, And seeing the multitude, he said unto them. So was he speaking to the whole crowd of people that were there, or just to the religious leaders? I think we can put them together and say there were maybe many religious leaders there. And he's saying, Why are you even here? And I believe that some of them came for baptism. This, it would teach this, that some of them came to be baptized. But he said, why are you, who, who warned you to flee from this wrath to come? The judgment that, that Jesus is going to bring. Who warned you of this? If you want to be baptized, you have to show it 
by the fruits of repentance in your life. So here's where the rubber can meet the road and where we can apply it. One of the places we can apply it. Do you show forth the fruits of repentance in your life? To me, the fruits of repentance is consistency. It's a consistent life in my responses no matter where I am. It's a transparency in that I am willing to... This is who I am and I don't have anything to hide. Those are the fruits of repentance. If you're inconsistent and you're hiding something, you, are, you don't have the fruits of repentance. And your heart is not prepared for Jesus to dwell there. I hope that's not too strong, but that is the way Scripture would teach. As Christians, our repentance is not a once and done thing. It needs to be a state of preparedness or a way of life. A friend of mine once said, our self-righteousness is not currency in the kingdom of God. That says it well. These Pharisees and Sadducees were, were using their self-righteousness as currency in the kingdom of God. And, and John knew that. And he said, don't think for a minute that that's going to that's work for you. He said, God can raise up people like you from these stones if he wants to. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 11. John goes on here after he talks to these religious leaders and illustrates a very New Testament idea. Because he said, you you need to show forth your your fruits of repentance if you want to be baptized to show that you are repentant and they said what then should we do and he goes down different people groups of people the soldiers the tax collectors different people came to him and said what should we do and he gave a very New Testament response to them and even that was preparing the way for Jesus in Matthew 5 is a few chapters later Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount And he hits some of the same things or takes it even further than what John did. Luke chapter 3, 11. And the people asked, or sorry, verse 10. And the people asked him and said, What shall we do then? And he answered and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. He was preparing the way for Jesus. I'd like to close with just a few thoughts here yet. The ministry of John the Baptist was for a specific purpose at a very specific time. And it was to prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus' coming. Jesus will make two visits to earth. The first one was to bring hope and salvation, to teach us the kingdom of heaven. 
And the second one we're anticipating, and that will be to judge the earth. Every one of you, every one of us interacts daily with people who have little to no understanding of God, who give very little thought to their spiritual condition, but our words and our testimony and our way of life will have an effect on somebody. Don't think for a minute it won't. It will affect them some way. It'll either, it'll either be for the good or it will comfort them in the condition they're in or it will affect them in a negative way. Your testimony, your way of life, the way you conduct yourself and your responses could well pave the way for someone to accept the call of God in their heart. Or it could turn them off for good. So everyone sets an example to the world around them. And my prayer today is that we would be preparing the way of the Lord for his second coming and that we could be an accurate portrayal of who Jesus is. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer?